this evening as we uh, look at the, the catechism at uh, Lord's Day 10 concerning providence, we have two scripture passages to read as well. We'll read first of all from Genesis 45, the first 15 verses, and then secondly we'll move to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 6. But first of all, Genesis chapter 45, the first 15 verses, picking up here at, at the time in the life of Joseph where he's been in Egypt and he's been, been raised to a position of power and now his brothers, the ones who wronged him those many years ago, are in Egypt seeking his help, seeking his aid. And in Genesis 45, we, we see there they're meeting together as Joseph reveals himself to those who've wronged him. So Genesis 45, the first 15 verses. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children, grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. We will also read from the New Testament from Matthew chapter 6, picking up in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he's, he's speaking uh, there concerning uh, in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, telling his listeners not to worry. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thus far, the the reading of God's most holy word, may he add his blessing on it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, children find security in the hand of their father. Think of a young child walking with his or her father. Many of you probably remember being the child holding your own father's hand, even as you can remember holding the hand of your own children. If you're in an unfamiliar place, a place where you feel threatened as a young child, you hold on to your father's hand. You hold on to dad's hand, knowing that as long as you're holding on to the hand of your big, strong father, nothing can happen to you. You feel so secure because dad has got you because in his hand you're safe except when you grow up and you're the one holding the hand of your own child you realize that your hand doesn't actually give very much security you realize that your hand isn't actually as strong as as the child thinks your hand is your child might think that you're Superman but you know that you're not that there are many things outside your control. So even as you hold on desperately to your child's hand in near a busy intersection or near the edge of a cliff or in any other place where you find a great deal of danger, we, we fear for our children. We realize that the security brought by our own hands is small. It's tiny. It's insignificant. But if we look back to Lord's Day 9 and the Heidelberg Catechism, we see that we have a father, a father who is without equal, a father who adopts us, loves for us, cares for us. And so as we continue to go through the Apostles' Creed, as we look at what it means that we have a father in heaven, maker of heaven and earth, we see the comfort and hope that we have in the hand of our heavenly father. The Lord's Day 10 uses this image three times of the the hand of the Father to show the control that God has over the entire universe and the safety that we have within His hand. Providence, uh, the subject of Lord's Day 10, is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds His creation as with His hand. He, He isn't an absent Father. He isn't a distant Father. So often our our ideas of fatherhood, fathers on earth can be tainted by a, a father who fails, a father who doesn't give a good picture of what a father is, but as we look to God, we, we see the, the true picture of the 
greatest, the most perfect father, a father who has not abandoned his creation but rather holds it, continues to hold it in his hand. And it is this, this power, this continuing care of God for his creation that gives us comfort. And so we don't need to look to chance. We don't need to look to luck to save us. We don't need to look to ourselves to save us, but we look to the hand of our Heavenly Father. And so as we look at the Catechism this evening, our, our theme is God's fatherly hand comforts his creatures. God's fatherly hand comforts his creatures. And, and we, we see this in the, the passages that we read this evening as well. God's fatherly hand brings comfort. And our Catechism goes on to, to give three points concerning the response that this brings in us. So we see first that this leads to patience in adversity, second to thankfulness in prosperity, and third to confidence for the future. So first of all, providence gives us patience in adversity. Without this knowledge that we're safe in the hand of our Father, this, this world would be a terrifying place. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, do not worry about your life. If, if we didn't have our Father to look to, if we didn't have the comfort of His hand holding us close, that would be an impossible statement. Do not worry. Worry would be a way of life for us. It'd be our natural inclination, and we'd be scared to leave our own home. John Kelvin, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, has, has a section on providence where he addresses some of the things that, that we would have to fear if we didn't believe in the continuing care of God, if we didn't believe in the providence of God. And he said, look, without God's watching over things, without God holding things, we'd be terrified. Step on board a ship, you're one slip away from falling overboard and drowning. Ride a horse, you're one slip away from falling off, hitting your head and dying. Walk down the street, it's a miracle if you survive. Any animal that you meet might attack you. Any person that you meet could attack you, kill you. And even in your own home, you wouldn't be safe. And so if this world was all that we had, would we have any comfort? There are many people, even those all, all around us, who this is all that they have. All that they, all that they see is, is the world, what we have here and now. And there's no comfort there. Naturalism would, would tell us that the world comes about by chance, that, that creation was a result of randomness and chance spread over thousands, millions, billions of years. And naturalism would tell us that we arrived as a species by chance and we could leave by the same chance and it really doesn't matter and that we aren't that significant in the grand scheme. So if that was all the hope we had, we'd have no hope at all. If our hope is what, in what we have to do ourselves, to save ourselves, to save our habitat, again, no hope. But providence, on the other hand, does give us comfort in the midst of adversity. Because think, think of the confession that we made several minutes ago. Things like drought, lean years, sickness, poverty, these things too, we confess, come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. And it gives us comfort. 
that these things too are under the control of our Heavenly Father. It's only because of our Father in Heaven who holds the universe, who holds us in His hand, that we can let go of our worry, that we can cast our anxiety upon Him because He cares. Think of Joseph in the story from Genesis that we read in Genesis 45. Before, up to this point, he'd been betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, is unjustly accused by his master's wife and thrown into prison. He faced a lot of adversity. And yet, in our passage, having been raised up again by God, having the opportunity, a position of power with which to take revenge on those who harmed him, to take revenge on his brothers, we see Joseph embrace them. We see him speak words of welcome to them and to say, this too was in the hands of God who sent me here ahead of you in order to bring about his own purposes. He recognizes the good that God is able to work out of the situation. And the, the same God who cares for the smallest creatures in creation, who cares for the birds of the air, the grass of the field, cares for Joseph in his time of adversity, and cares for us too in whatever adversity he sends our way. And maybe, maybe as we look at the story of Joseph, it, it frustrates us a little bit because we see the ending of his story. We see how God worked good out of it. And sometimes we don't see how God works the good out of our own situation. How often haven't we asked God, why? Why, Lord? Joseph has already come through to the other side and can look back on how God has brought this for his good. But if I don't see that, why, Lord? And maybe we never find out in this life but even when we don't see exactly what God is doing, we know that we can have confidence in Him, that we can have patience in adversity, trusting in His good care for His creation, because His power over all things gives us comfort. Comfort because we know how the story ends. We've been given the Word of God, and we know that He will wipe away every tear from our eye someday. We know that He is victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And we know that he is with us, will never leave us nor forsake us. Our struggles are real. Our, our heartache is real. But we have hope even in the midst of adversity because we know that we don't have to walk alone. Because of what Christ has done, you never need to suffer alone. Christ has already suffered the weight of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. He's already been forsaken by God so that we would never be forsaken. And so in whatever adversity you face, you're not alone. Rather, in whatever adversity we have, we can, we can look to our Savior, Christ, our great high priest who suffered. He suffered on earth. He was tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin. And so the writer of Hebrews encourages us in Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our Savior knows your struggles and is with you in your darkest moments. And knowing that we're safe in God's hand enables us to endure 
adversity patiently. Rather than fall into despair, the knowledge that the same God who holds all of creation in His hand, who holds the birds of the air, the grass of the field in His hand, holds you as well, comforts you as well, and is with you to the end of the world. And it is the hand of God upholding His creation that gives us hope, even in the midst of this sin-scarred and often difficult world. And it's the, the same hand of God bringing comfort to His creatures that also leads to, that, to thankfulness and prosperity, to thankfulness when things go well. So secondly, we see that the, the comfort of God's hand leads to thankfulness and prosperity in times of fruitfulness, times, times of health, times of prosperity. These two come to us from God's hand. And in these two, we look to him in thankfulness because these two come, to him from, come from his fatherly hand. And we can be thankful knowing that even if we were to lose the things that we have, even if we were to lose the, the blessing and the prosperity that we have, we're still in the hand of our father who will never leave us or forsake us. And even, even in times of prosperity, even in times when things go well, as we, we thank the Lord, we can be confident in Him knowing that even though we may lose our possessions, we don't lose our Lord. We might lose our earthly possessions. Joseph did in the chapters before Genesis 45. He lost everything. He went from being the favored son of a, a successful Middle Eastern man to a slave. Then he went from being a, a, the trusted servant of this man to being thrown into prison. But if our main thought in times of prosperity is fear that we're going to lose these blessings later, if, if our main thought is that we need to cling to the blessings that we have, to grasp them with all our might, we're not going to be thanking God for what He's given today. But if all things come to us from the Father's hand, we can truly thank Him for His blessings without fearing the loss of these gifts tomorrow. The creation itself is not the main cause of our thankfulness, but it is the Creator, the one who gives the gifts, who is the object of our praise and the object of our thanksgiving. And brothers and sisters, it's, it's easy to say that, of course, we'll be thankful in prosperity. Of, of course, of course we'll be thankful in prosperity. It's the adversity that's difficult. But how often... Doesn't the very prosperity that we have, the, the good things that God has given, the times when things go well, cause us to forget our need for God? If the danger of adversity is a temptation to think that God no longer cares for us, to think that God has abandoned us, the danger in times of prosperity is to think that we no longer need God. How often does the, the very prosperity given cause us to forget that it comes to us from God's hand. We live in a wealthy nation, a safe nation where for the most part, life is often good. And so do we forget that the blessings that we have come to us from God's hand. This, this is why the, the writer of Proverbs chapter 20 asked for neither poverty nor riches. Poverty lest he become desperate and steal, but riches lest he forget who the gift comes from. Or consider as well the, 
the rich young man who'd come to Jesus in Matthew 20 asking him, Teacher, how do I obtain eternal life? Jesus recognizes his, his attachment to his material prosperity, to the, to the gifts that had been given, his, his desire to cling to these things. And Christ calls him to give up this idol, to give away his possessions, and calls him to a life of service. And this young man goes away sad because he can't bear to the thought of giving up his possessions. It wasn't wrong for him to have possessions in that text. It wasn't wrong for him to have many good things, but it was wrong for him to value these possessions above the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, Jesus tells his disciples that it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because of our tendency to take the gifts that have been given and put, place in them our hope, place in them our confidence, rather than looking in thankfulness to the one who's given us these gifts. And so our, our confession, as we confess together in Lord's Day 10, it reminds us of the, the proper response to the blessings given. It reorients our hearts away from the gifts, away from clinging to them, holding them, clinging to them selfishly for ourselves, but rather to look in thankfulness to the one who gives the gifts to our Father who is in heaven, the one who cares for all of creation, the birds of the air, the grass of the field, his servant Joseph in a foreign land, and us today as well. Indeed, we have even more cause to to celebrate than Joseph did because we see much more of the kingdom than he did. As God continues to care for his creation, he provides a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, that all who believe in him might have life in him. And this too, this spiritual prosperity should lead to thankfulness, not to arrogance that we've been chosen, not to, not to look to ourselves, but to look to Christ in thanksgiving, to look to God in thanksgiving for what he's done. Our gratitude for what, what we have in Christ as well as what we have each and every day in, in creation as God sustains us with what we need for our day-to-day life as he gives our daily bread should lead to a life characterized by thanksgiving. To give thanks in, in all circumstances but particularly to thank God for the blessings he's given. The blessings that we've received today, physical and spiritual, give us reason to thank the Lord today. But also as we see that God's fatherly hand comforts his creatures, we also see that we have confidence for the future. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Jesus tells his disciples not not to worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. This is only possible because of God who cares for today and cares for tomorrow because of the confidence that we have in God. As we look at providence, providence doesn't assure us that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. That's, that's not the confidence that we have tomorrow. Rather, we, expect, we continue to spec, expect rain as well as drought. Health, but sickness as well. Fruitful as well as lean years. Prosperity, but perhaps poverty as well. But whether prosperity or adversity, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Father has drawn near by sending his own Son 
to earth to gather a people, to gather a kingdom for himself. And so in Matthew 6, Jesus tells his disciples to seek this kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not to store up treasures on earth, not to, not to look simply at what we can gain for ourselves to make our lives comfortable, but to seek first the kingdom, because that is where our hope for the future lies. Because the love of God doesn't end for us with our death. The love of God, we're not separated from the love of God by our death, but rather we look forward to eternity with him in his kingdom. And brothers and sisters, the beauty of the confession that we make in Lord's Day 10 is that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. This, this is the incredible comfort that we have for the present, but also for the future, also for each day of our lives as we look to our Creator. And this, this is a confidence firmly rooted in the words of Scripture, a safe within Christ's kingdom. Our confidence is in His hand. We have confidence because of, of words such as Jesus says in John 10, in verses 27 through 29, where He says to His disciples, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Christ promises eternal security to his own. Congregation of Christ, he holds us in his hand. Could there be any sweeter comfort than this for the future. In Egypt, Joseph was safe in the hand of God. In Judea, at the time of Christ, those who heard and believed were safe in the hand of Christ. And here, all of us who look to Jesus alone for our salvation are safe in his hand as well. The Apostle Paul, in, in his letter to the Romans, also addresses this in verses 35 through 39, questioning what, what is able to separate us from the love of God? Paul says there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our confidence rests in the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord the love of God in Christ Jesus that will not allow anything to separate us from his love. In his hand, we're safe. In his hand, we're secure, both now and in the future. And it is his spirit that enables us to cry out to God. Our hope for the future rests in the one who can protect us in our adversity now and in the life to come is our security our hope for tomorrow rests in the same one who cares for us today. Because of his care, we're safe in the hand of our creator. God's fatherly hand brings comfort to his creatures.
Comfort that cannot be found anywhere else. Comfort that cannot be found on this earth in creation, in a, in a big bank account, in a, a secure retirement. And if God holds us in his hand, we don't need to look to creation to save us, but to the creator, to the one who created everything and then continues to hold, to sustain that universe. Our hope is in the comfort of being held in the hand of the creator. Looking to him, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and confident in the future, knowing that all creatures are so completely within God's hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Amen. Let us, let us come before the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you, O Lord, that you did not create this world and then abandon it. We thank you, Lord, that, that you continue to uphold your creation by your hand, that you continue to care for us each and every day. Lord, we thank you for the, the comfort that we have in your almighty hand. And we pray that we truly would be patient in times of adversity as we look to you, that we would be thankful in times when things go well, looking to you, and that we would have confidence for the future, looking to you, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. So, Lord, continue to Continue to uphold us. Continue to give us confidence in you. Continue to point us more and more to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.